Welcome, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a great show today. You're crazy if you don't follow me on social media due to the fact that we do lots of videos, got lots of information, updates, the whole work. So if you go to aaronsgunshop.com, go to the Facebook page, be sure to like us on Facebook. And by all means, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel at aaronsgunshop.com. Great videos there, tons of them, too. Okay, let me tell you what's coming up on the show today. As always, true stories of self-defense coming out of the American Rifleman's The Armed Citizens column. I'm going to be reading about probably four, maybe five of those today. And it's coming from a 1982 issue. In my License to Carry Attorney segment, we're going to do something pretty cool now. I, I heard an article or was listening to a newscast where a comment was made about how a lot of immigrants that are coming in, illegal immigrants, are not familiar with our culture, the way our Constitution is written. So decisions are being made not based on this country's founding, but based on uh, beliefs that they've got that contradict how our life is in this country. So what we're going to be doing is for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be taking each one of the Bill of Rights and we're going to have attorney, super attorney Rick Dodd or attorney extraordinary Benton Ross Watson breaking them down. The first one, obviously, is going to be freedom of speech. And attorney Benton Ross Watson will be covering that one today. So that's going to be very interesting. After that, we're going to have the delicious Janae Goodman. And this week, she's going to be talking about honey. And I thought that was pretty sweet of her to do that. Don't you? Uh, product spotlight today is from ANC Firearms. Uh, sponsor of the program is going to be the Ruger 22 Charger Takedown. It's a pretty nifty little weapon there. So we're going to talk about that at around 11.20 or so. So lots coming up. Tell everybody you know. Get your note-taking material ready. And when we come back after this break, we'll start with true stories of self-defense and a whole bunch more. See you on the other side. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap and Metro Radio Program. We're in the Armed Citizens, or the True Stories of Self-Defense coming out of the American Rifleman's Armed Citizens column here, and this one's from 1982. And I'm going to read this cold turkey, so I want to see how I react to it. So if I sound perplexed, because I'm trying to figure something out. So let's start with story number one here. When an Austin, Texas patrolman arrived on the scene of a burglary in progress, he found much of his work already done. Denise Dinsmore a 20-year-old University of Texas co-ed was holding a burglar at bay with a shotgun flanked by her two roommates. Wow. Now, this raises a question. If she's um, a co-ed at the University of Texas, was she in a dorm room? Obviously not, because they wouldn't allow it. So she's probably got a home off campus, right? And she's defending. Her daddy probably gave her a 12-gauge shotgun, and her roommates are happy they did because she held a burglar at bay. So good deal for that. Story number two. A would-be intruder tried to bash down the back door of Norman Holmes' Colorado Springs' Colorado home. Disregarding Holmes' warning to leave, the man began to peer through a pet door cut into the main door. Saw Holmes fired one twenty-two round through the opening, wounding the interloper. When an inquiring reporter... Here you go. When an uh, inquiring reporter asked if Holmes hadn't been worried that he'd shoot a friend, he replied... I don't have friends who would break down my porch door and try to kick their way into my house. Good point, don't you think? I think so. Story number three. A Bremington, Washington prosecutor ruled that U.S. Navy enlisted man James McMahon was justified in killing a pair of intruders who crashed into his apartment armed with a club, knife, and chain. One of the pair had repeatedly threatened McMahon... And when the two broke through the front door of his apartment and attacked guests sleeping in the living room, he opened fire, killing both intruders. Ladies and gentlemen, do I even have to explain this one? Somebody's breaking into your home or peeping through your your doggy door. 
uh, it's just not the right way to go. So they're gonna they end up getting what they get, and what they got was dead. So compliments to James McMahon. Story number four: Emmett Toft was convinced that the two robbers who struck his Milford, Virginia store meant to kill him and his son Richard. So when one was off guard, he attacked the criminals and reached for his own thirty-eight. The pair fled as the elder Toft and his son, who had retrieved his own pistol, opened fire. Not bad. Being assaulted, guns drawn, able to divert, deflect, distract, acquire their own weapon, and um, make the, the pair of bad guys run off. Too bad they were able to run off. It would have been nicer if they were just staying in place, if you know what I mean. I got just another second here. I'm going to give us a bonus story. Donna Mosley was asleep in her Atoka, Oklahoma home when she heard an intruder breaking through her bedroom window. She ordered him out, but he kept coming. So she fired a single round from an 8mm Mauser rifle, killing him instantly. An 8mm Mauser rifle. You see, back in 1982, we didn't have all these pretty little compact guns, high-capacity guns. So she pulls out this old 8mm Mauser, one shot, one kill. End of story. All right, good deal. Those are the stories of self-defense, true stories of self-defense. Hopefully we can learn what to do and what not to do in situations like that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have done something different here. I've always had an opinion piece. Well, I've decided to change it from an opinion piece to an observation piece. And let me explain to you why. On this observation piece, I've titled it Counseling, Observations, and Opinions. Ladies and gentlemen, I've decided to change my opinion pieces into observation pieces, and let me tell you why. I listen, read, and watch many sources of information that instead of giving me the facts, give me their opinions. Political radio shows are the worst. Caller after caller gets on the air and complains up and down about what's not being done or how it should be done, but give no explanation as to how to get it done. Even worse is that they themselves are doing nothing to help get it done, whatever it is. These callers and people like them are frustrated, and in most cases, rightly so. But to complain, moan, and give your opinion doesn't get anything done. You must get engaged into the problems that bother you. That's why I'm on the air. I'm getting engaged. I don't want to be surrounded by unprepared people. So I get on the air and explain how to be prepared. I teach it. I show it. I live it. So if you're going to criticize me for whatever reason, don't give me your opinion. Either make an observation or give me good counsel if you're in the position to do so. Now, I'm a definition guy, so let me give you clear definitions of these three words. Counseling, observation, and opinion. Observation's a noun. The action or process of observing something or someone carefully or in order to gain information. A few synonyms would be viewing, Survey, surveillance, study. Opinion, that's a noun too. A view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. A few synonyms would be viewpoint, angle, slant, perspective. And finally, counseling, that's a noun as well. The provision of assistance and guidance in resolving personal, social, or psychological problems and difficulties, especially by a professional. Synonyms for that one would be advise, guide, direct, warn, caution. Now, notice how opinion does nothing to help the situation. 
It's just an expenditure of hot air. Observation, however, is a study of the situation. And if the information can be analyzed and broken down, it may become useful to someone who then can counsel someone to whom it may apply. So, ladies and gentlemen, with my observation of opinions, my counsel to you would be to just have a nice conversation instead. At least this way, both sides of the conversation can get their opinions across. And with that, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have attorney extraordinaire Benton Ross Watson. We'll be talking the First Amendment, I think. Is that right, Ross? That's correct. All right. See you on the other side. And to my left sits attorney extraordinaire Benton Ross Watson. Respectforyou.com. We're here to talk about the framers and founders had for you when they uh, enacted the Bill of Rights. Oh, you said that right. What, the, the, what they thought of in the future of how it's supposed to be, man, the way they wrote it is fantastic. I'll tell you what. Let me start it off. Tell you why we, we came up with this. I mentioned it earlier in the show. I was reading a news article, or I, I listened to one. I can't remember which one it was, but I heard a soundbite saying a lot of illegal immigrants are coming in and not understanding the foundation of this country and, and the Bill of Rights Constitution, and they're they're not uh, ble- blending into our culture. It's almost like you came in here, but you're still separate, and you don't understand how things work here, and you want to change the way your thought process is, and that doesn't work. Sorry, everybody. It doesn't work that way. You come into this country, you're going to work it the way this country set it up. And um, so we were talking about it, and I figured, why not go over the Bill of Rights? So for the next 10 weeks, we're going to go over the 10 Bill of Rights. And I wanted to give everybody who's not too familiar with how this works um, a starter course. Now, the Constitution of the United States has a preamble, the opening paragraph. So I want to give you an example of what a preamble is, in case you're not aware of it. This is the preamble to the Constitution. The Bill of Rights has one as well, but I want to get you started. The preamble of the Constitution says, we the people, and by the way, back in grade school, I was dressed up as George Washington and I had to read the preamble, so I feel pretty special on this part. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Then all the articles in the Constitution, okay? Now, the Bill of Rights, once the Constitution was ratified, everybody says, hey, you know, that was fantastic, this is great, but... We want to write something to clarify, to make sure, to add to it, to make sure there's no misunderstanding of what we're trying to say. So here's the preamble of the Bill of Rights. This is Congress of the United States begun to held, uh, I'm sorry, begun and held at the city of New York on Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1789. And here it goes. The conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the the beneficent ends, did I say that right? Of its institution. So what they're saying here is, yeah, we wrote the Constitution, but we just want to make sure everybody's got it right and there's no misunderstandings. We're going to add to it these Bill of Rights. And there you have it. I'm going to read the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. Passed by Congress September 25th, 1789. Ratified December 15th, 1791. The first ten amendments from the, uh, form the Bill of Rights. And that's the freedom of speech one. So, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof 
or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. And just so some folks know some of the history, remember we, uh, the first part of the Constitution was enacted much earlier than the Bill of Rights was, and we had the Federalists and Anti-Federalists, and we did a good program, I think, uh, that you guys can go find on YouTube that talked about uh, how we wanted the Bill of Rights to come in to protect rights, but there were, everybody thought that these rights were common to man, that they were natural, inherent uh, by God's ordained uh, or God ordained them himself to man, and they were common to all men. And obviously we had slavery, and so man had a different definition in that day, which I'm glad that we've, we've changed in our country. But uh, as far as this is concerned, these rights go into to really delineate what the government can't do and just to say that we absolutely do have these rights because a lot of the founders were scared that as government over time grows bigger and stronger it slowly slowly chews up and eats day to day week by week month to month year by year at your rights and you know there was a good good argument from folks like james madison who said that we don't need to put a bill of rights because these rights already exist we already know that they do and if we put them in there it's going to make it look like they didn't exist but for the constitution and i I really i really respect that viewpoint and that's a and i I do agree to some extent but like i've said many times before if we would not have had these bill of rights there are things that would have been no limitation on government and it was and it's only for the sake of them that government has had restrictions on it and so it's very important that i think that people know their rights. A lot of times people say, well, I know my rights. Well, they really don't. Uh, and so maybe that's what we're hoping to portray here today. And I wish I wasn't as sick because First Amendment and Fourth Amendment, as I say, are my two favorite amendments. Probably the first to everybody is is a very uh, a sacred right that we have. It uh, protects six essential rights that, that we have. And so, as you read, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting, prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble or to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So if you look in here, you're going to see six, right, that stand out to you. It's going to be the establishment clause, right, the free exercise of religion, free speech, free press, Peaceful assembly and redress of grievances. So redress of grievances, I'll just cover very quickly. We're just going to make sure that we have a way to be able to get into the courts. Texas has this and an open courts provision. Uh, Texas has its own, instead of making its own Bill of Rights, Texas actually put these rights within its con- within the Constitution itself. Uh, as you'll see later on, like things like the jury trial that were added in the Bill of Rights, Texas actually made, which we talk about the jurors and jury trial, Texas thought the right to a jury was so important that it was in mm. right its initial constitution. And so these rights are, are definitely important. You want to be able to come to government and petition for things that happen to you wrongly and for things that the government is doing to you. If you had no way to challenge the government, then there would be no way for you to use your speech because the government could take it and you wouldn't be able to have any way to redress Right. The infringement. okay, And so you need to be able to have a process to do it. And so that we're also going to see we have due process in the 14th Amendment. So a lot of people don't understand. Well, they say that uh, the Bill of Rights only applies to federal laws. It only applies. 
Congress. Well, we have the 14th Amendment now that in court we call incorporated the Bill of Rights to the states as well. So the First Amendment is going to apply to state regulation to the same manner that it applies on the federal level because of the 14th Amendment. And so we're going to have I'll go to peaceful assembly and freedom of press. We're not going to talk a lot about that because we don't have near enough time to cover these things. But peaceful assembly is essentially a, a, a free speech right almost as, as well as a free press because in order to get ideas and opinions, they, and as in part of First Amendment law, when we're talking about speech law, we, 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 we talk about the marketplace of ideas, the United States being the marketplace of ideas. And we try to uh, regulate speech and the things that we how we how we handle speech law is based on sort of like a capitalistic right, point of view. Right. If there's a, a viewpoint out there like you, you obviously we don't like people burning the flags. Neither one of us do. We've had several heated discussions on here. I'm I'm all for giving the person the right right to burn the flag. I'm not for it. I don't agree with it, but if they want to burn it, I'm fine with that. And See, here's but, but I back you up on that. I hate it too, but I'll fight for the right for you to do it. C- correct. And the reason is is because we feel that have, I'll explain it this way. If you've ever seen a uh, a kid who goes in to get a shot, a lot of times the doctors will just grab them and <laughs> put them on the table, right? And then they start freaking out. Ah! They just start they sound start bite, sound bite. they start going crazy. Right. Whereas if they would have just approached it and let the kid sort of express a little bit of fear, but didn't just try to compel him to give the shot, it would have gone very nicely. OK. And that's the same way almost with speech, that if we try to compel people and restrain them from talking, it's going to explode. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have any 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 way to release their emotions. That's a proven that's that's a way to prove that freedom is a natural right because you're trying to restrict somebody and that freedom just wants to come out. Exactly. Okay. And so, so, but we feel that there's no need to restrain these viewpoints because if a viewpoint is disfavorable, the marketplace, people in general society is going to reject that viewpoint and eventually it'll get washed to the side. Mm -hmm. So we want to give people an out to express their emotions. So we, we allow them to do that and we don't want government to be the one to tell them they can't. And so in order to have a marketplace, and exchange ideas and develop ideas, we have to be able to meet and, and associate with other people of like minds and of, of not like minds so that we're able to get better viewpoints about different topics and issues. And so the right to peacefully assembly goes hand in hand with the right of free speech because we have to be able to right communicate and congregate and be with other people in order to exchange ideas. I want to ask a real quick question. Shut me up if it has nothing to do with this. Why, why is it sometimes you need a permit to go and do some type of uh, speech rally? And that's what we're talking about. So a lot of times the, the First Amendment is going to be very strict against prior restraint. That would be called a prior restraint because you're trying to make a regulation before any speech is actually had. And this would be if you have an unreasonable bond amount, an unreasonable permit fee, an unreasonable like uh, – fee for insurance, say, from a city government for people to march, or you have a, a time requirement that has to go through this application process that makes it essentially useless to get your message out at the time. And so courts routinely right, strike down injunctions and prior restraints permits on people that want to do a parade. Now, the court's very clear that it will uphold penalties if you go ahead and do that free speech act 
and not pay the permit fee or not pay the insurance fee or not do these things, you can be fined, right? And the city can go ahead and, and, and they're going to uphold that. But okay, how did, I just lost something here. I heard every word you said. I'm looking at you, but then it didn't connect. If they're, if they're going to put it down, yet they still will fine you? I don't get it. So they're not going to allow you, right, to just avoid any kind of responsibility to pay government. But it, but they're not also not going to allow government to put in such strict requirements that it makes it it makes it burdensome for you to, to actually get your message across. And so, like I said, you may violate the permit process and go ahead and get your message out there, and the court's going to uphold you if the city comes in and tries to get an injunction to stop you. But you're probably going to have to pay a fine if you violate some kind of ordinance. Look, there's cases all over the place. It kind of is fact-intensive, case-by-case. There's a thing called strict scrutiny. We're going to apply strict scrutiny to any prior restraint. And if it's, it's, if it's not the least burdensome, and if it's, there's other alternatives available that they could do, the court's going to strike it down. But we don't have time to get into that. Okay. okay? So this is just a brief overview. So if you've got one of these things, that's what I was trying to tell you, you, you definitely need to seek out a lawyer if the city or somebody's trying to prevent you from getting a message. And they do this a lot, which we're going to see in the end of this show, we have the freedom of press. That's way too much. But, you know, there's a movie that just came out, the New York Times versus Sullivan, which is about the Pentagon Papers things and, and whether they could publish that because it dealt with government security and things like that. But it was also things that people needed to know about what their government was doing. And when those things were published, they tried to enjoin them from publishing them and, and they tried to come after them and. You know, it, it was a it was a it was a very important case for the press, and the press does have a need for these rights because it was important in our founding. The establishment clause and the free exercise clause are the the religious aspect of. You remember when we came from England? Okay, we had the king and we had the secular courts and we had the king's courts and mm-hmm. you had statutory laws and you had equity that was applied by the kings and so. Uh, it just became, and then you had the king, which was bound by the church, and there was revolutions fought over this in every society that there was religion and secular involved together caused problems. And that's why the founders wanted to make sure that we kept our separation, but at the same time, we wanted to protect your religious freedom. So there's always, in these cases, there's this, there's this interplay, there's this collision course between religious freedom right, and government control. And so... The establishment clause is a, is a, is one from out of Texas in 2005 that maybe you'll remember where they displayed the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. uh, a monument to the Ten Commandments on the court at the at the legislature here in Austin, and uh, Mr. Orden Van Orden appealed that and said that that was a violation of the establishment clause because we're respecting an establishment of religion, and the court actually upheld Texas's right to put the Ten Commandments on the the legislature square out there because that was more historical and secular it, it, it was it was a traditional kind of thing it went into the creation of texas isn't it, was, it almost like a mission statement to this, to this country and to the state it's because you know this country and the state were basically raised up on Judeo, judeo-christian values and those are basically um pillars of those values and all it is is a mission statement saying you know in this country we're definitely going to uphold those those values it, 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 some of that is true yes yes as far as the legal aspects of it i totally agree with what you're saying but 
from the court standpoint, I looked at it as more of you putting an antique piece of equipment on at your business property as, as you know, if you do agricultural law, for instance, and you put an antique piece of farm equipment out there, it's, it, it shows who you are. It's an identity. It's 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 an identity thing, and that kind of showed who we are, and which is what you're saying. Okay, I, I get that it. It goes to the pillars of why we were created and how Texas, what we stood okay. for. Okay, all right. Okay, and so the free exercise clause. There's some fun cases, and I'm going to point to two here that I think is very funny because it was there are cases that are advocating sex and drugs. <laughs> so it's it's the it's the it's the it's the the government. Right, essentially regulating practices and the religious folks coming in and saying, but we want to do these types of practices and that's our right to do these kinds of practices. And they were Reynolds, which was an 1878 case, and the city of Bernie versus Flores. And there's also another case, I can't remember the name, that talks about the use of peyote, okay, within the religious ceremonies. Uh, peyote was upheld. It was an Oregon case, I think. Peyote was upheld. Uh, Oregon, uh, in, in many cases, other times it's, it's not been upheld. And so the, the defining point in these is whether it's a religious belief right, or whether it's a practice that the, that the government can regulate. And so in Reynolds, it was uh, polygamy. It was the uh, uh, Mormons, uh, the Latter-day Saints. And whether or not you could have multiple spouses, and I'm all for it. I think I don't know how this can be justified today, right? Especially now that we have gay marriage that's being approved, and, and it's, it's 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 seeing as a constitutional right. I think that we're going to see more cases as far as polygamy is concerned. And hey, if you want to have more wives and more kids, all more power to you, man. But, <laughs> I got I got a, I got a humanized dog and a and a girlfriend and a and a office manager, and I can't handle any of them. So, what's this? What's this? A few wives and few kids. And so, I mean, if you want if if you want uh, more spouses and more kids, in my opinion. More power to you, and I will fight for your your Here's right under the free exercise clause for for that for that right. I don't even think it comes down to a matter of free exercise clause. I don't I don't even see why the government is so against this anyway. If you if you look in the initial cases and you look at cases out of Texas, That's punishment enough, right? Exactly. And so if you look at the cases out of Texas for uh, uh, polygamy <laughs> and uh, bigamy cases, you're going to see that man. It, it's really antiquated the, the the policy reasons that they use to uphold these, and it, it doesn't. It, it, it's not really justifiable under today's policy reasons. So I really think we're going to have more of these. But then we had City of Bernie versus Flores, a 1997 case. And this was out of San Antonio. Uh, the Catholic Archbishop Patrick Flores applied for a building permit. He wanted to upgrade his his 1993 mission style uh, building because his congregation had gotten too big, and the city denied him a permit to do that. And then so he appealed under the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, RUFRA, okay, and essentially the court shot RUFRA down, okay. It said that the, that the cause Congress essentially in, in the Religious, Religious Restoration of Freedom Act made it where any kind of law that was restricting religious activity would be applied what we call strict scrutiny, which is a very hard standard for a government to meet. I mean, it's extremely difficult for a government to justify one of its laws under the strict scrutiny standard that the courts analyze, right, those kinds of laws under. And so the, the, the court was like, you can't make roofers say what the courts 
do. It, you, you're trying to tell the courts what to do with with this act, and it's a very complicated case. But essentially, the city ended up winning that case, and it, it's it's it, it is important though going forward for us to determine right exactly what free exercise means and so does it mean that we can't have regulations congress can absolutely come in and and make regulations for or against religion but ultimately it's going to be the courts whether congress is uh, con- congruent and proportional right whether those laws are congruent and proportional right for religious activity if if uh we're also gonna matter of fact this was uh uh Anthony Kennedy was a swing vote on this. So these these kinds of cases may change with new additions to the court that we just have. And I, I'm talking about these cases because they're controversial, right? And we're just going to have to see. I think that there could be some change in these coming up in the near future. Okay? And so know that you, you can – you have the right to a religious belief, right? But sometimes your practices, your practices, what you do, your activity can be regulated by government. Okay, and so even though your beliefs and your uh, religion can't, but sometimes whether it's a practice that's really part of the religious belief, right, is a gray area, and the courts have to step in and decide that. So free speech, free speech. So we spoke about you're going to have first question is is it speech? Burn flag burning is it speech? Yeah. How? It's an expression of opinion. Is it? Is the flag itself speech? Yes, it represents. Or is it an object? It's an object that represents what we, uh, how we are in this country. It has many, many quiet uh, expressions of who we are. Exactly. So it's what we would call a symbol. It's a symbol of, of, of what we are, who we are as a people, what, 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 what we represent, what we stand for, where we came from. And these types of symbols, even though they, they are not in itself verbal, right, they are more expressive often than what we could say. Yeah. A picture is worth a thousand words. You look at the flag, my heart swells. Exactly. So, okay. yeah, exactly. And so symbols a lot of times have more expressive uh, value than what we could say you know, what a thousand of us could say. And so they're very important. And so, yes, a lot of times the courts do have this size of something expressive, but they're very open and it's a broad view about what is expression. And so many times silence in and of itself, silence, right, is expression. And and there's nothing more beautiful than that, okay? I mean, so there's oftentimes we have to decide too, if, if, if it's, is it conduct, expressive conduct? Is it a symbol? Is it speech? Is it verbal? What, what kind of speech is it? And that sometimes determines what kind of regulations there are. If it's political, it's core. It's core speech, First Amendment speech rights. And you're going to get every single right that you can possibly imagine. And you're going to get strict scrutiny. You're going to get the courts on your side almost emphatically, right, when you're talking about political speech. And that's what comes in with campaign contributions and right because that's a form your campaign contribution goes to advance a political point of view and so there's been free speech you're just basically paying somebody else to say your thought process which is uh, you're essentially your agent and and it's your group it's your right to assemble with this group okay right for your, your group to advocate this point of view and so you see how as we go through this in the bill of rights all all through all 10, you're going to see how each one has this interplay and each one is just as essential to the preservation of the next. Mm-hmm. And so while for the First Amendment is very important and it gets a lot more right protection than other rights, the First Amendment could not exist 
in many aspects were it not for those others. And so in each single subset of First Amendment speech often depends on the protection of the other subset. And so as we, you know, as we go through this, I want you guys to, to notice that. And so here... Right then, too, we got we got famous cases: Texas versus Johnson with the flag burning case. We got uh, 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 Morse, which is the marijuana at school bong hits for Jesus case. <laughs> we have, and what, what, you know, what are what are the school kids' rights? And you have famous court cases: opinion uh, uh, Tinker, which is the black armbands in which was almost a silent protest against the Vietnam War. Okay, and Tinker actually won. Mr. Morse was not as successful, right, in his bong hits uh, phrase. But one one has a one has a very core political reason and is and is and is should be protected in school. Whereas the other is an illicit purpose, a drug use that schools have a right to regulate. And so, obviously, those are two ends of the spectrum. But you can see how at some point you're going to have these two colliding with each other. Where does where does it end? And and the courts have been uh, very adamant that. The students' First Amendment rights do not end at the courthouse step. Okay, and so, but but what they are and how they're regulated, we we talked about on a couple of shows, and so I want to. I think how close are we? How much time we got? Oh, we got we're good. We got about seven eight minutes. This is that's perfect. So, Justice Jackson is probably my favorite Supreme Court justice, and if if I and and there's no one better to illustrate. Right, the importance of the Bill of Rights and somebody like Justice Jackson, who essentially came from a very modest family, came from nothing, right, uh, was one of the only, or is the only justice on the Supreme Court who did not, right, uh, go to law school, and he essentially was a um, a uh, apprentice under under other lawyers for a while and he got his license that way and just rose in the ranks and went through the uh, judge advocate general's office and then became a prosecutor for the government and then became uh, he actually prosecuted the germans at the nuremberg war trials and he probably could have had chief justice spot but he took he thought it was his duty to go to the nuremberg war trials to to and sacrifice to do that for his country and essentially gave up the chief justice spot mm-hmm. in the United States Supreme Court and wrote some of the most uh, seminal, most important opinions in American history. And if there was one opinion that I would pick to for to put in a time capsule if America society right was destroyed tomorrow and save and preserve for generations to come. I'm kind of worried about that to be honest with you. Go ahead. Well, and, and to preserve it and to really say what what we stood for, it would be Justice Jackson's opinion in West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett, which was in the 1940s. It was in 1943, right in the midst of World War II. And during that time, it, we're going to go a little bit over, but it, this is important, okay? Do what and, you got to do. do, do. And, and, um, and during that time, I want to give you guys a little brief background. There was the flag salute. And the flag salute, if you remember the Nazis, their salute was their hand out forward, right, looking forward, body straight right with their hand palm of their hand right hand turned down okay well the americans right we had the exact same salute to our flag except our palm was turned up interesting they were identical except for the palm being turned up and 
there was there was criticism all across the the state and remember it was it was a big push in national policy to foster uh nationalism uh you know motivate the people to get behind the government and the things that they were doing and so uh it was became regulated that kids had to do uh the the flag salute they had to do the pledge of allegiance and they had to do the salute to the flag and so during this time Right. They were actually expelling kids from school. They were prosecuting parents for truancy. They were going after. And the biggest group that was hit the hardest was the Jehovah's Witnesses because they refused right, to pay homage to right, another idol, another, another establishment right, other than, than God. And so that was part of the Ten Commandments. That was part of their religious belief. Right? You could see how all of, these start to, all of these subsets of the First Amendment start to come into play. And even even other groups, even other groups, ACLU, not just them, there was plenty of other groups that were uncomfortable with making students do this salute because this was a mere identical image to what Hitler was doing. This, this made us look like we were little Nazis. In America, we've, we were just as fanatical as they were. And so Justice Jackson is tasked with writing the opinion in this case. And I, I'm going to read, and I, I took some excerpts out, and it's three pages worth of the opinion, but it's worth your time to go read the opinion. Right. And so I'm going to do that now. He says, Here we are dealing with a compulsion of students to declare a belief. They are not merely made acquainted with the flag salute so that they may be informed as to what it is or what it even means. The issue is here is whether this slow and easily neglected route to arouse loyalties and constitutionally may be shortcut by substituting a compulsory salute and slogan. There is no doubt, in connection with these pledges, the flag salute is a form of utterance. Symbolism is a primitive but effective way of communicating ideas. The use of an emblem or flag to symbolize some system, idea, institution, or personality is a shortcut from mind to mind. Causes and nations, political parties, lodges, and ecclesiastical groups seek to knit the loyalty of their followings to a flag or banner, a color or design. State announces rank, function, and authority through crowns and maces, uniforms, black robes. The church speaks through the cross, the crucifix, the altar and the shrine, the clerical raiment. Symbols of state often convey political ideas just as religious symbols come to convey theological ones. Associated with many of these symbols are appropriate gestures of acceptance or respect, a salute, a bowed and bared head, a bended knee, a person gets from a symbol the meaning what he puts into it. And what is one man's comfort and inspiration is another's jest and scorn. Over a decade ago, we approved the display of a red flag symbol of opposition of, by peaceful and legal means to an organized government that was protected by free speech guarantees of the Constitution. Here, it is the state that employs the flag as a symbol of adherence to government as presently organized. It requires the individual to communicate by word and sign his acceptance of the political ideas. It thus bespeaks objection to this form of communication when coerced is an old one, well known to the framers of the Bill of Rights. It is also to be noted that the compulsory flag salute and pledge requires affirmation of a belief and attitude of mind. It is now commonplace that censorship and, susp and suppression of this type of expression can only be upheld in the presence of clear and present danger to the state. But here... The power of compulsion, compulsion is invoked without any allegation that remaining passive during a flag salute ritual creates a clear and present danger that would justify an effort to remain to muffle expression. To sustain the compulsory flag salute, we are required to say that a bill of rights which guards the individual right to speak his own mind left it to public authorities to compel him to utter what is not in his mind. 
If validly applied to this problem, the utterance cited will resolve every issue in power in favor of power of those in authority and would require us to override every liberty thought to weaken or deny execution of those that are in power, the execution of their policies. Government of limited power needs not be an anemic government without promise of limiting without a promise of of a limiting bill of rights. It is doubtful if our Constitution could have mustered even enough strength to enable its ratification to enforce those rights today is not to choose weak government over strong government. It is only to adhere as a means of strength to individual freedom of mind and preference to officially discipline uniformity for which history indicates a disappointing and disastrous end. The 14th Amendment, as now applied to the states, protects the citizen against the state itself and all of its creatures. Boards of education are not accepted. Such boards are numerous, and their territorial jurisdiction is often small. But small and local authority may feel less sense of responsibility to the Constitution, and agencies of publicity may be less vigilant in calling calling it to to account. There are village tyrants as well as village Hamptons, but none who act under color of law are beyond the reach of the Constitution. The very purpose of the Bill of Rights was to withdraw certain subjects from the vicissitudes of political controversy, to place them beyond the reach of majorities and officials, to establish them as legal principles to be applied by the courts, one's right to life, liberty, and property, to free speech, a free press, a freedom of worship and assembly, and other fundamental rights may not be substituted, submitted to a vote. They depend on the outcome of no elections. National unity as an end which officials may foster by persuasion and example is not in question. The problem is whether under our Constitution, compulsion as here employed is a permissible means for its achievement. Struggles to coerce uniformity of sentiment and support of some end thought essential to their time and country have been waged by many good as well as evil men. Ultimate futility of such attempts to compel coherence is the lesson of every effort from the Roman drive to stamp out Christianity as the distributor of its pagan unity, the Inquisition as a means to religious and dynastic unity, the Siberian exiles as a means to Russian unity, down to the fast-failing efforts of our present totalitarian enemies. Remember the Germans in that case. Mm -hmm. Those who begin coercive elimination of dissent... Those who begin coercive elimination of dissent soon find themselves exterminating the dissenters. Compulsory unification of opinion achieves only unanimity of the graveyard. And I'm closing. It seems trite but necessary to say that the First Amendment to our Constitution was designed to avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. There is no mysticism in the American concept of the state or of the nature or origin of its authority. We set up government by consent of the government, and the Bill of Rights denies those in power any legal opportunity to coerce that consent. Authority here is to be controlled by public opinion, not public opinion by authority. The case is made difficult not because of the principles of decision are obscure, but because the flag involved is our own. Nevertheless, we apply limitations of the Constitution with no fear that freedom to be intellectually and spiritually diverse or even contrary will disintegrate the social organization. To believe that patriotism will not flourish if patriotic ceremonies are voluntarily and spontaneous instead of a compulsory routine is to make an unflattering estimate of the appeal of our institutions to free minds. We have intellectual individualism and the rich cultural diversities that we owe to exceptional minds only at the price of occasional eccentricity and abnormal attitudes. 
when they are so harmless to others or to the state as to that we deal with here, the price is not too great. And I emphasize freedom to differ is not limited to things that do not matter much. That would be a mere shadow of freedom. The test of its substance is the right to differ as to the things that touch the heart of the existing order. If there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. If there are any circumstances which permit an exception, they do not now occur before us. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot, man. It was every bit of it was very good. It's a uh, it's a very uh, emphatical. I mean, uh, it was a very important decision. It brings tears to my eyes when I read it normally, and uh, it's a very important decision for all all rights in general. You could read that four or five times, and you pick up something that you missed every time you read it. Uh, Ross, outstanding. I can't thank you enough. Very good. And next week, ladies and gentlemen, will be uh, week number two of this ten week program we're doing here with the, the Bill of Rights and that'll be the Second Amendment. So, Jonathan, I'm sure you'll be listening to that one. <laughs> Alright, I'll tell you what. Let's take out with one quick commercial and we'll come back with the delicious Janae Goodman talking about honey. See you on the other side. Honey is celebrated in the culinary world for its versatility. It's used in a variety of dips, desserts, and other dishes. So, what's all the buzz about it? I've got your answer to this and more. I'm Janae Goodman and this is Tactical Snacking. It's hot, sticky, and sweet. It's one of the many world wonders. Honey is produced by bees and comes in a variety of types, clover and buckwheat honey being some that you might be familiar with. The difference between honey varieties rests in a few factors, color and flavor profile being the two most important details. This really only makes a difference if you plan on using your honey for specific tasks. For instance, buckwheat honey is useful for mead making because of its deep, complex taste that's similar to molasses. It lends itself very well to spices and herbs. Clover and wildflower honey carry a more subtle taste, and they make a great choice for general use or for someone who's not really looking for an overwhelming flavor. I like to call these beginner honeys because they make a great introduction for the product. You may have heard that honey is better for you than regular table sugar. Now, there's some truth in that statement, but I don't want you to be fooled. When compared side by side, honey can be just as caloric, if not more caloric, than white granulated sugar. The two contain about the same amount of carbs and sugars as well. So why is it that you tend to hear honey being the healthier option of the two? Honey is lower on the glycemic index than sugar, meaning that it doesn't raise your blood sugar as quickly. It also contains a higher level of natural sweetness or fructose than white sugar does. That means that you tend to use less honey to achieve the same amount of sweetness. Honey may have up to 80 different vitamins and minerals that we all need. This includes iron, potassium, calcium, and so much more. The darker your honey, the more antioxidants it carries. Now compare that to white granulated sugar, which virtually has no helpful vitamins or minerals. You've probably heard the scoop on honey being used for medicinal purposes. If not, let me let you in on what it's all about. Raw honey is helpful for treating burns, even those caused by the sun. It carries antibacterial properties and offers soothing relief. It can also help ulcers and act in place of minor wound dressings. Manuka honey is best for medicinal use. Can't stop coughing? A spoonful of honey just might be your relief. 
Some studies support the sweet nectar being just as effective as an over-the-counter cough suppressant. Mix it up with lemon and warm water just before bed for a less severe cough and a better night of rest. Unfortunately, this won't be the answer to curing your allergies. Some believe eating locally sourced honey will help reduce your reaction to allergies because of its pollen content. However, there is no direct link between reduced allergies and local honey. Honey can also be used for skin and hair care products as well. Add a squeeze of honey to your shampoo for a natural moisturizer. It may even strengthen hair follicles. Use it on your skin to reduce acne or to reduce the signs of aging. Honey's antioxidant properties are great for both. Can you believe it? Honey has been found to be one of the oldest foods, and guess what? It doesn't spoil. It should be kept at room temperature, and if you put it in the fridge, it will crystallize. If you've made this mistake, just put your waterproof container of honey in hot water and leave it at room temperature until it gets back to the liquid gold consistency. You can also scrape it into a container and put it in the microwave for a few seconds before letting it sit out at room temperature. I love using honey in my recipes, but I hate cleaning it up. To make things easier along the way, I use a small bit of spray oil in my measuring utensils for an easier cleanup. It also helps make it a more accurate measurement. Thinking about adding honey to your marinade? Well, you wouldn't be wrong for doing so. Before you move forward, I do think you should know that honey has the properties to break down meat. Honey contains an enzyme that breaks down meat very similar to the way that pineapple juice does. It is a highly acidic item. However, honey is too viscous to work on its own, so I do recommend adding liquid to your marinade. As wonderful of a product as honey is, please do not give it to children younger than the age of two. You may be surprised that this isn't a choking hazard. Honey can actually induce infant botulism. That's a food poisoning that's caused by a certain bacterium that's found in the honey. While older children and adults are able to fend against the dose found in honey, infants have not developed an immune system to help fight this disease. If you thought this segment was a bee's knees, let me know. Shoot me an email at tacticalsnacking at yahoo.com. As always, thanks for spending your time with me. Enjoy your sweet, sweet weekend. And until next time, stay hungry, my friends. Okay, we're going to move on now to our product spotlight, sponsored by ANC Firearms in Heidenhammer. Uh, reloading equipment, black powder, the works, okay? And this week, what we're going to talk about is the Ruger 22 Charger Takedown. Neat little package, especially if you're a prepper, something to put in your backpack. And I got this article. It's from Kristen Alberts. It's titled, Six Reasons New Ruger Charger is the Ultimate Survival Pack. And I'm taking into consideration this was written in 2015, but it still holds true. So six reasons. I thought this was pretty cool. It makes it simple for me to break it down the Ruger Charger takedown and 22 long rifle makes an excellent survival tool yes it does here are six reasons why the new modular threaded Ruger Charger takedown is the ultimate survival pack pack gun it may not be the ultimate but it sure is right up there number one proven reliability of the action 1022, not much more needs to be said. It has been one of the most reliable and relied upon guns of all time. The ease of maintenance and repair is tantamount for survival reasons, or for survival weapons. Tear down and cleaning any 1022 is a snap without tools, and the takedown is no exception. There are not many parts floating around at the receiver, in that receiver, and should anything break, parts should be relatively easy to find or even easier to carry and spare. The laminate stock is heavy-duty, if not beautiful, and Ruger also has uh, released a polymer option as well. 
Customizability. Ruger Charger Takedown with custom AR pistol grip. Perhaps the neatest thing about the new Ruger Charger Takedown is the transformer-like ability. This gun is a chameleon. Break it in half. Change the trigger group to the new BX. Add a bipod or a grip pod. Mount a light. Change the AR pistol grip to your favorite. Thread a silencer or a muzzle brake. Place iron sights, red dot, or most anything you can dream. Heck, who says you can't get an SBR permit and drop it into a shoulder stock? You can tailor this gun to, be, uh, to your own demands. Number three, packable size gun and ammo. Weighing around three pounds, the Ruger Charger takedown is easily packed when broken down. Weighing just over three pounds and measuring just 18 inches long assembled, and when broken down, both halves are no more than 10 inches long, the Ruger Charger takedown is the ultimate in portability. And like the small caliber guns, such as the ammo, I'd rather carry 1,000 rounds of 22 long rifle than 1,000 rounds of 223 or 44 mag. With a gun like the Charger, you can throw 500 rounds, several mags, and the gun in your backpack and still have room to take a secondary. Accuracy and follow-up shots. This is number four. The combination of accuracy, fast follow-up shots, and a suppressor can make you a ghost in the field. Ruger 10-22 barreled actions are more accurate than most shooters, Taking a solid rest always helps, but any practice shooter can shoot the Charger takedown offhand well enough to harvest small game. Though I do not recommend the semi-automatic actions in survival situations given the higher risk of malfunction and increased difficulty of repair, the 10-22 action is an exception to the rule. Take down some small game or last resort defense. Enter the big plus rapid follow-up shots. The Charger comes standard with 15-round BX mag. The Ruger BX-25 is even sweeter. Those standard 10-rounders work just fine as well and are even easier to pack. Number five, threaded suppressor ready. Ruger Charger takedown ships uh, suppressor ready, which also um, can be used to fit a muzzle brake. There's plenty of debate here. In a survival situation, will you really care how much noise you make? I would, yes. On the other hand, in the survival situation, wouldn't you prefer to remain the gray man, silent and unnoticed? Whether or not you want it now, it sure is nice to have the option of mounting a sound suppressor device, though all legalities still apply. Even if the silencer is not your thing, the threaded barrel of the Ruger Charger allows for muzzle brakes as well. And then six, cost. Though it retails for one price, the newer the Ruger Charger can be found for cheaper prices. And you can go to ANC Firearms and they get you a great price on it. While it may be difficult to find 22 long rifle ammo, this is an old article. You can get 22 ammo all over the place now. And what it's basically saying is it's great to have it on hand. It doesn't cost that much to have 22 ammo. Now, in conclusion, pack it up. No, I don't believe a 22 rimfire is adequate protection in every circumstance. I like to have a long range, higher powered rifle backup or backup sidearm for self defense. However, if you're looking for something relatively light, packable of a caliber that allows for large amounts of ammo is accurate and reliable the Ruger Charger takedown is in the mix of any survival conversation no matter the gun you choose the best choice is preparation and ladies and gentlemen I can't argue enough or I can't agree enough is what I meant to say and that is the Ruger 22 10-22 is an excellent weapon the Ruger Charger breakdown 22 is even cooler because you can pack it in your bug out bag um, it's just portable and uses all the standard other equipment that you need to do it can be like a chameleon like she said you can add so many different things to it so check it out go to ANC Firearms you can actually go to aaronsgunshop.com go to the Facebook page you'll see a picture of a charger takedown it's uh, disassembled in two parts get to see how big they are but go to ANC Firearms in Hindhammer give them a call at 254-983-4417 
Uh, tell them you heard it here on the show. Tell them you want to buy one. Okay, so everybody support the sponsors, support the program. If you want to become a sponsor of the program, give me an email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or give me a call and I can explain to you how your business can benefit from being on the show. Okay. Well, very good. Everybody can't tell you enough how much uh, fun I have doing this show. Hopefully we can uh, continue to do it with your support, donations. You, if you're a business out there and want to uh, sponsor the program, we can do a lot of stuff for you here on the show. You got a built-in audience. I just think you get some good results from it. So support the show. Tell everybody you need to know to listen and God bless and keep your powder dry.